In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he came the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thanks, Libby. Um, uh, are you encouraged when young people like Libby, teenagers, maybe even younger, come and minister to you here in the sanctuary? Is that a source of encouragement for you? It's an encouragement for me. And um, uh, it's funny, at, at our home, we're always telling our kids, well, you know, uh, your, your mom's a singer, J Jason and Jared, when are you guys gonna come and see, you know? And uh, it's just wonderful when young people, teenagers and younger, um, will come out and serve us, that this sanctuary isn't just for us adults and so forth, but it's for um, young people who can know Jesus and can serve him in spirit and in truth. And it's just an awesome thing. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I did, it was kind of busy. Um, my mom's side of the family kind of gets together and uh, a bunch of uh, uh, grandkids and aunts and so forth, 50, 60 people get together and share a, a, a meal. And it's just a whole bunch of fun. And then on uh, Friday and Saturday, I did my the first spiritual spiritual retreat with my family and there was just some things that in the in the course of busyness I have seen my family gets a little just disconnected in good things you know one's kids in college one's in high school both are driving uh, my wife works two jobs and so forth and so sometimes you just need to pull away and talk about what really matters so we had a chance to do that uh, in this series that we're going to do on uh, John, uh, in particular, uh, 
there, John is a gospel where what God is doing, what he's communicating is abundantly clear. Uh, he's not being, um, uh, uh, he's not uh, uh, hiding the message in terms of what the, the, is the key thing about the gospel of John. Here it is. Uh, but these are written that you may believe, John says about his gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So uh, these, this series that we're going to do is going to focus on the first 18 verses of the book of John, chapter 1. It is considered to be... Um, uh, kind of, if you get the first 18 verses, you will fully understand what all transpires fr from there. And it's deceptively uh, simplistic in this regard that the words that are used, especially, especially in the first 18 verses, are simple words. Words like word, life, light, uh, glory, grace, and truth. But beneath these simple words are some very deep theological truths that have very deep significance for how we live our lives. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to week by week uh, unpack these, these deep truths so that you will understand more fully the significance of this particular season, the Christmas season, God coming to earth in flesh being the greatest gift to mankind, giving Jesus. Um, so what I'm going to talk about this morning, uh, a particular theme. It, the theme is simply this, the incarnation displays God's glory. Now, for this a simple sermon, I'm going to have one theological truth and what I think the application is for ourselves. And then I'll have a second theological truth and what I think the application is for ourselves. Uh, and I have to admit, after stu studying this passage, uh, God uh, uh, became, uh, came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the, of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. After studying this for 15 hours, uh, I was uh, away with my sons and still working and was frustrated. I, was like, I still haven't gotten to the bottom of this in terms of understanding. And this, this chapter is like that. Once you start with light, what is he talking about? Life, what is he talking about? Glory, what is he talking about? Because of the depth of these spiritual truths, it, sometimes you, you, you end your study time with this sense of frustration sometimes. This is where I was. Until I kind of looked at John Piper's sermon on this. He wrote a, a sermon on this probably a couple years ago, and it, it kind of helped me see. And so the outline that you're going to get is, is his outline, and the ideas and the stories, you'll know they're mine because the, you, uh, you'll just know. God in the flesh reveals God's glory. The act of the Son becoming a man reveals what is most great and most glorious about God. So let's dive right into this truth. What is meant by God coming in the flesh? John 1:14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who, began, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Um, and also here, John 1. 
What we need to know is this word, word, is logos. And to the philosophers of the day, logos would have meant the reason that permeates the universe. Um, the, the Greeks had an understanding that they were gods. They believed that there were many gods, but, but they believed that there was a central regulating principle that gov- governed the affairs, and they would have called that logos. But to the Jews, they would have had in mind God's direct revelation, God's direct communication to men, spoken received by the prophets and kings and so forth, written down and recommunicated, it would have been a specific word of God. So what, what John does is he takes this word that he feels like can minister properly who God is who came in the flesh, both to Jews and to Greeks, is where this concept comes from. Now, what is it that we know about this word? Verse 14 says that he was the son the Son of God. And verse 1 and 2 gives us, give us more clues about who this Son is. It says, in the beginning was the Word. This is the creative. It, it harkens back intentionally to Genesis, where there was nothing but the Spirit over all of the universe, and God spoke and created. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. It's saying here now that there is a Son of God eternally, always with the God, never created, always intimate with the, with the Father. And this word was God. He wasn't part of creation. In fact, creation emanated from him. He did the creating. And he was with God in the beginning. One more thing about this word. Through him, This son who has become flesh and dwells among us, this man, through him, all things were made. And nothing that you see or have seen results, has resulted outside of his influence. It all came from Jesus Christ. So what about this word? He is God. The father is also God. The Son is not the Father. They are part of the same God, but they are not the same persons. And the Son is not a creation of God. He wasn't born of Him in the natural sense. They always existed together, separate but unified. We have the basics of the the ministry, the doctrine of the Trinity that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what is interesting about this relational God is that in their existence, they each and always glorify each other. So that as we study the Gospel of John, we will see that always Jesus is talking about his Father and doing the work of his Father. He's here on the Father's behalf. And when the Holy Spirit is introduced later into the book, rather substantially, the Spirit there just, just takes the word of Jesus and Father and communicates it. Jesus says that when he goes to heaven, he will not leave the people alone. The Spirit will come. His Spirit will invade believers' lives and hearts and be with them to instruct and to govern and to teach, to live among them. 
So the Father always glorifies the Son. The Son always glorifies the Father. The Spirit always glorifies the Father and the Son. And Jesus dwelt among us. This great and awesome God has come down and lived with us. I kind of like the way it is expressed in Matthew 1 and 23. The angel comes and makes a statement. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what's very interesting about Jesus's ministry is that not only does God in the Trinity glorify itself, the three persons, in this what Tim Keller calls the dance. Not only do they exist in that kind of beauty, he actually comes and dwells with us. And the record is that he had 12 disciples who was, he was very intimate with. One of them was the writer of this gospel, John, who knew him intimately. In fact, it was said that he was the one whom Jesus loved. So he dwelt with average people. This great, holy, transcendent, powerful, almighty, omniscient God dwells with average, common, everyday Minnesotans like us and has been dwelling with his people ever since creation, quite frankly. This is the God that we serve. So what? What is the relevance that we have a God who dwells among us and who is relational. Well, here at High Point Church, we are actively involved in, in making us strongly relational. Uh, just listen to the announcements from earlier today. The Intentional Living Seminar. Well, what is that really about? Well, that's about us as Christians living in our neighborhoods, working in our offices, going to our schools, actively partnering, finding out who the Christians are in our, in our workplaces, in school places, and actually taking the love of Jesus to people. And in the ordinary rhythms of our lives, in the, in the shopping, in the birthday celebrations, in the Christmas parties, in the ordinary things of our lives, when you go to lunch at work, inviting other people to know this God who dwells among us. It means that we ought to be relational. So let's think about our church again. Man, uh, we have Sunday worship services, but then we have small groups. And what do we ask? It's one of the few ministries where we ask everyone to be in community, to dwell together, sometimes dwelling with people that you wouldn't normally want to dwell with. Mimicking, imitating our Father who dwells with us in our inequities in our sinfulness. So we ask you to, to join in fellowship in small groups. You have opportunities to come and join in fellowship in men's women ministries and women's ministries. We ask that there's opportunities for you to go study the Bible, to study Genesis. And there's a whole host of different ways where you can come and dwell with Christians for the purpose of taking God's glory to the world. In addition, even more than that, there was something that was said about Jesus that um, ought to startle us. 
One of the accusations about Jesus from Matthew eleven nineteen is this. It says that he was a friend of sinners. And it was an accurate description. What it said is Jesus didn't just hang around the holy people, but that he would spend his time with people who needed stuff. Uh, less desirable, uh, lepers, thieves, tax collectors. And he would bring the grace and truth to these folks. And some of them would, would come and be a part of his, uh, of, of his kingdom and others wouldn't. But it, he would invest himself sacrificially in that way. And so as we talk to you about being intentional about sharing Christ with others, what we're really saying is join Jesus, be like him in how you dwell among men. Take the light that he's given you, the blessings, and share them with God and be a part of his kingdom. Represent him in that way. So what more can we say then about this God who dwells among us, the one who came in the flesh? In Jesus, we see God's glory. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I like the way Tim Keller explains this theological truth. This is what he says. He says that is the glory of God in Christ is his gracious disposition to us without compromising his truthfulness, his faithfulness to himself. That is to say, he is always and ever merciful and gracious, but at the same time, he deals with sin and wickedness and folly. At the same time, gracious and full of justice and truth. Um, this notion of him being full of grace really um, impacts me personally. Have you ever taken time to think about the grace of God and what it's meant in your life? Um, so I went back home to Chicago on the west side of town. This Christmas season, they're going to have a movie uh, that pretty much reflects some of the neighborhoods that I grew up in and was around called Chirac. And it's going to talk about the depravity and some of the issues that are going on in the inner cities. In particular, the murders, young people usually killing young people. A lot of it, people of color murder on each other, right? And um, when, I, when I go to my mom's house on the west side of town, and I consider what that neighborhood was, kind of a middle class neighborhood that started to struggle even while I was living there, and now is a drug-infested, difficult place to live, okay? I think about the grace of God in my life. I think about how God uh, took me from those humble beginnings, uh, took me from a family with a not strong marriage, parents who divorced, gave me a good solid, gave me himself, taught me what was right and wrong, was saved at about age 23, and then showed me how his values would help create a better life for me. And when I think about my sons who still listen to me, my wife whom I still love, 
the opportunities that I have had in terms of not only jobs. I'll tell you this one story. So uh, the family has been really busy and I wanted to get everybody together for this spiritual retreat. And uh, so there's a Christian organization that has a retreat center that they charge you a marginal amount to use. Very nice place, very nice place, four or five bedrooms, well-appointed, right? And I communicated with the organization and they gave me a price for the facility, which very reasonable, very reasonable, I just didn't have the money. <laughs> so, so I was like, your price is awesome, I really, it's more than fair, uh, I just can't afford it right now. And then the, the, the person, the director sent me an email back. He said, well, what can you afford? Well, I'm ashamed to say it. I can afford about half of what you asked. And they said, listen, this is a ministry. Um, we know you need the break. We'll be glad to take your half. That is the kind of grace that I have witnessed in my own life in Christ over 26 years. So many times that I can't even record it. All the different times God gave me what I didn't deserve. Have you thought about your grace that you've received from God? Have you thought about the blessings that are new to you day after day, morning after morning, that you know that you don't deserve? That is the grace of God. But this grace of God is not cheap. This is not a wishy-washy, sentimental kind of grace. This will be a righteous, God-exalting kind of grace. It's the kind of grace that leads straight to Jesus' death on the cross. Because it's at the cross where sinners like us who intentionally turn our backs from God and unintentionally in some regards, it's at the cross where Jesus can pay the price for your sins in his own death and at the same time forgive you from your sins for an eternity. It's at the cross where the glory of, of God, where the fullness of grace and truth can be seen. And it's at that place where we never as Christians should ever tire of considering what God has done for us and considering what we will have in him. One of the reasons I love the Gospel of John is this prayer that's in John 17. And Jesus is just about to go into uh, what the Greeks uh, uh, would say is hell week. I, I pledged the fraternity and the last week was hell. It was just awful. But that was nothing compared to Jesus's last week of being betrayed by his own people, being, being crucified and hung, to, hung on, I wanna say six hours to die. And there's nothing like that. Um, the, the beauty of the cross and all that it means for us. In John chapter 17, he prays for his disciples. He says, Lord, I'm gonna glorify you on the cross and you're gonna glorify me. You're gonna glorify me by raising me from the dead. And for, for an eternity, everyone who comes to faith in God is gonna have to call upon my name. You're, you're gonna glorify me by, by giving me this great name, Jesus. And I'm gonna glorify you by dying for sins. I'm gonna glorify you, I'm gonna return to your glory. And then he says this, he says, don't take these Christians out of the world just yet. But at the appointed time, I want them to see the glory that I had with you in heaven. 
There's something that's for us. There's, there's a radiance and a joy and a beauty that is for us that he has already entered in to preserve for us. There's glory in Jesus and his grace and truth. There's glory that I have experienced today that I'm experiencing right now. Good, good things in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of ISIS, in the midst of struggles and so forth. There's glory and blessing and goodness. And not only that now, but for an eternity. We serve a God who is full of grace and truth. But be careful that you might say to yourself, well, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't with John and Peter and Mary and the other witnesses. I didn't see the glory. Be careful. Don't think that this glory that's in verse 14 is primarily a physical glory, because it's not. This is the prophecy of Jesus who would come in the flesh. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us. To him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. No, this, this awesome glory that you need spiritual eyes to see is a spiritual glory. And there's a great irony in all of this. And here's the irony. It, it's not surprising to us when we talk of, uh, when, when, when we give out Bibles to people who don't believe Christ or when we preach sermons about his death, burial, and resurrection that non-Christians wouldn't understand and wouldn't be captivated by the love of God and desire to serve him with everything in him. That's not that surprising. But what is the paradox is when we Christians find ourselves in that place where we are no longer captivated by the glory of God, that when we don't have spiritual vision. And to be honest with you, um, I find myself in that situation on a more regular basis than I would like. And as I've looked at myself, I've come to four different areas, things, that seem to, um, that seem to keep me from being able to see spiritual glory. God's goodness and his blessings to me that happen on a daily basis and, that I, and, and the blessings that I receive from the saints, both small and large, I find there's four things that keep me from seeing God's glory. Here's my four. And as I share these with, the, with you, I want you to think about yours for the Christians that are in the audience. I want you to think about what keeps you from seeing the glory of God. What makes serving Jesus more a, more a, a chore than joy. What could be standing in place of the joy of serving the Lord? Here's mine. When I have goals that are not really Christ-centered, when I have aspirations for my children or for myself that are materialistic or that may seem to be spiritual but really aren't spiritual, when I have goals that are not really Christ-centered, that robs me of my ability to see God's blessedness. When my leisure pursuits are overemphasized, when it comes to holiday season or football season, or for you it could be fishing or hunting, and I find myself giving myself totally to that and not having any sensitivity to spiritual things, no, no desire for prayer or fellowship or Bible study, my leisure things get in the way of me seeing spiritually. 
laziness. How about this? You get to a place where you just want to, you know, you go to work and come home and veg on the couch. And that might be good for one day or two days as a recovery. But that when that turns into a week and a month, and when you can't seem to, to uh, inspire yourself to read your Bible and to pray on a regular basis, spiritual laziness and physical laziness gets in the way of me seeing spiritually. And then the fourth one, this one tends to be the biggest struggle that I have, a tendency to be independent and not God-dependent. I'll just give you a real strange thing that happened to me today. So at the beginning of the intentional living seminar, um, I'm supposed to go and make a quick update on what's going on in the church. And after the first service, first service I did it, after the first service, I got caught up making changes on this message and visiting with people. And before I knew it, it was like 11.15. And I just assumed, I just assumed that I would just have to go in and still do it. Even though I had to come up and preach in five minutes, I assumed that there would be no help. And I, it was a wrong assumption. And, and so Mike was there and he had already given the announcement and one of the things that I needed to have done was already being passed around. It's because I'm not in this all by myself. I'm spiritually blind thinking that, that in, even in the areas where I'm responsible for, that there's no help spiritually or no help for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm spiritually, there's a tendency to, to fall into spiritual blindness. How many, of you, how many of you here today can honestly say that you're excited to be worshiping in this Christmas season? Raise your hand. Okay. That's about, that's about half. The, the rest of us are like in a place where it's, uh, man, it's been 25 years or 10 years of, of, of celebrating Christmas. I just don't see anything new in it, right? And I think that when we find ourselves in those places, and I've been in those places, in fact, one of the reasons why I took my family on this retreat was because I felt like not only was I in that place, that we as a family were in that place. This is a season when we can be self-reflective, when we can take a step back and, 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 and see for ourselves, assess ourselves. Are we seeing Jesus as he is, full of grace and truth? Or is our vision of him diminished? Now here's what we have said. God came in the flesh to display God's glory. He dwelt among men and had close fellowship with his disciples. And we're saying that this should inspire you and I to be in close fellowship with one another and it also should inspire us to live intentionally in our communities. And we said that his glory is most fully displayed on the cross where he took the penalty of the sins of all mankind and also forgave all who came to him in faith. That it's the cross that's most beautiful, it's the cross that's most glorious. So the question is, how can we apply this to our lives today? And I want to give you two suggestions as things that you could do that will help you prosper in this Christmas season, knowing that God indeed has come in the flesh and that his spirit is available to all who would ask for it. And I would say this, read the Gospel of John this month. 
uh, I have found that the grace that is seen in every page of the Gospel of John is inspiring. Every time I read the story of the, of the prostitute who was brought to him, or excuse me, not the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, this is John chapter 8, verses 12. And I, when I think about the story of how Jesus in his wisdom says to them, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. When I look at that, he recognizes immediately that this is entrapment. And then he recognizes the, the lifestyle of those who would accuse this woman. And then they all walk away, and then she's left there alone. And he says to her, woman, where are your cruisers? Are there any here? And she says, no, no, Lord, there's none here. And then he says to her, her go and sin no more. And then I recognize I can still see the glory of Jesus in that story. And I can remember the times in my life when I was that woman. Read the Gospel of John and reflect on the story after story where God heals and even the places where he condemns the unrepentant. See the grace of truth afresh in the Gospel of John in this month. And pray that God would give you greater spiritual vision. Secondly, consider whether you have a healthy relationship or a healthy engagement at our church or any other church. One of the disappointing things as a pastor is um, you will uh, run into someone and they'll say something to you like this. Well, I've, I've been attending High Point for like 25 years. And I'll be like, and I don't think I've seen you even once. And it's because sometimes we are a part of the fellowship, but we're not fully engaged in the fellowship. And to be truthful, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll go through these phases where you're very active in things like small group and service, when you know what your spiritual gifts are and you're actually using them effectively, not only in the local church, but also in the community. But then you'll find a phase when it seems like you're not, you're just popping in the door. Use this time to consider whether or not you're dwelling among men like Jesus and always active seeking God's glory. Or you might be in the other situation. You might be too active. You might be at high points six days a week and need to back it down. But this is the time of the year whether you need to consider your relationships, remembering that our God is a relational God who loves and serves. So those two things I, would, I, would, I commend to you in the month of, of December. So let me conclude with this. So we see that God in the, the flesh displays God's great glory. So what we've done this morning is we've lifted up the incarnate Son of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See His glory. See His glory. The glory of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. See His glory and live. Won't you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we want to see. And not with our, just with our physical eyes. 
we want to see you working in our own lives, purifying us, making us more faithful, more hopeful, more joyful, because you are our God and you are always with us. Making us more productive, Lord, in sharing the love that we have with you with others. Father, oftentimes we can fall into this rut of hopelessness when we look at the world's affairs and we look at the wickedness and violence and we can forget that we are the solution in you, that we are the solution. We are the light of the world and, and we can't be put under a lamp that, but that we need to be on a hill sharing your glory with the world. And not just verbally, but just in the ways in which we go about everyday life. Lord, make us, make us more winsome. Make us more joyful. Make us more faithful. Let us see truths in the word as we read the Gospel of John this year that we've never seen before. We've never seen certain revelations that you're going to give us. Help us to see. Inspire our children. Lord, look, look towards our children's children. Look towards the future for us, Jesus and raise up a generation that loves you and serves you and loves the God-man. Bless your people today. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to do your will. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.